Hey, this episode of Finding Demo Surf Fishing is being brought to you by the Kids Can Fish Foundation. You guys know I love them. I mean, I went to the tournament. I just got back. It's been really good. So the Kids Can Fish Foundation, you can find the website kidscanfish.net. They take kids out into these camps and teach them everything they can about throwing cast nets, fishing, all, let's see here, freshwater, saltwater, and there's more coming. But the cool part is, is that they take all the donations that come in and they, when they put these camps on, these kids go home with the gear. So it's not just learn and leave. No, they learn with that gear. They take that gear home and then they get to take it back out another time on their own. Lots of great things. All your donations come back or that do go in, go right back into it. And then at the big tournament at the end of the year, all the money that comes for that, all the proceeds go right back in as well. So they have the nice splits that come with the payouts, lots of cool stuff on there. So go to kidscanfish.net. Take a look at all the information that they have on there. And if you can, hey, take care of them, support them. They're doing good things. Welcome to a new week, everybody, and it's been a good one. I hope you're doing well wherever you are, and I hope the fishing has been phenomenal because that's always the greatest thing you can hope for at the end of the week is coming home with a smile and I get some food on the stove. This week, we're taking the old digital plane out west. We're going back to Cali, and we're going into a different topic this time. We're going to the one that everybody's like, ooh, controversy, controversy. Well, if you recognize that label right there, yeah, yeah. We're talking with Spencer from Terra Firma. It's going to be pretty cool. So I hope you all already got your notepads out because there's going to be a lot of discussions here between the shark fishing, regular fishing, Cali fishing, the tackle shop. There's a lot. So this is going to be a big one. So without further ado, welcome to the show. Good to have you on, man. I'm glad you're here. No, man. Good to be here. It's it's always fun to do these things. <laughs> so if you're watching this on the video, yes, he's in this truck because that's the only spot that the truck's getting there that you got a signal out there because like you said, the shop is a black hole of doom. Yeah, it's got to be just the miles and miles of cable that's in there or something. Uh, I used to get okay service when I was with AT&T, but it moved over to Verizon so I'd have better service on the road because like 90% of my life now is not in the shop. And uh, it really, I just get some black hole at the house. Like I'll be trying to call and just talk like little business things with vendors and stuff. And I have to go outside, get in the truck, drive to the end of the street to even get service. So. <laughs> Oh, that's not even fair. Oh, man. Well, you're in SoCal, so you've got some pretty cool fishing. You do have limited fishing uh, zones, unfortunately. I do remember some of that. We were talking pre-show with where you're at. So you got a lot of, you got to fight for some real estate there. Yeah, so the MPAs is one thing. And then we also, we can't really night fish in most of SoCal. Uh, the beaches are, they, they're all city or state or county owned, and they all have different closure times. They close at night. Uh, some of that's just public safety stuff. We have a lot more people here. So if the beach was open till 10, it would literally be full of people all day, every day. And it's hard to maintain it. I, I get it. But at the same time, it's a little frustrating. It makes you kind of, you have to think and stick and move. And there's no multi-day sessions here. And so things are different. But yeah, What's life without an extra challenge? Here, here's another one, right? Just can't, <laughs> just can't make it simple. All right, well, let's get right into podcast questions here because we do have a lot of them. We got a lot of things to talk about. So let's start at the very beginning. Tell us your story and what got you into fishing. Oh, man. So I I guess I was born into it. My dad, now deceased, was a uh, 
big time like long range style boat out here we have like these big boats that everybody gets on and goes fishing together like 100 passengers or something and they'll go a couple hundred miles offshore and they'll fish offshore and come back it's like a head boat but it's way more like distance focused and he grew up doing that and was big into that and he got into diesel mechanics and ran boats and commercial fishing and so uh when we got we were estranged until i was like 16 and we got back together i had been fishing on my own just like in like ponds and lakes i grew up on the east coast so like maryland area so I spent some time over there, like just freshwater fishing and stuff came out here and he kind of quickly like crash coursed me into this unique fishery we have here with that headboat stuff. And so that's really where I cut my teeth was offshore multi-angler fishing, very strange environment. And uh, it quickly didn't do it for me. I wanted to be the guy fishing. And to me, the guy fishing was the guy driving the boat. Uh, anybody can throw bait at a boiling fish and get bit. And that wasn't, it wasn't really fishing to me. And no offense to the headboat guys out here. If that's what you got, that's what you got. But I wanted to go do it. I wanted to find fish. So I quickly got into like buying boats and trying to make it work on a limited budget. And that was frustrating. And the fish were small. I don't want big fish. And so that took me eventually to the land based shark fishing thing. And uh, it also, and that's, it was off to the races from there. You know, I traveled a lot for work as a younger adult. I did a lot of like science research in various places, spent time in Hawaii, spent time overseas and learned interesting tactics there. And so when I came back to the US and finally decided it was time to get serious about making some money, I uh, started to bring some of those tactics and habits and ways of fishing from across the world to North America. And it, it, it I took off and couldn't be happier. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy, man. I mean, you're not the first person to tell me this and I love it when people bring it up. I mean, fishing's fishing. And there's some cool differences you can pick up from our different parts of the world. It is insane. Oh yeah. That's a huge driving force behind the travel. Like it, it, a, it's the number one biggest, biggest reason we do that is marketing, putting the tackle to test and different things. And then also it's something I've wanted to do my whole life. There's, I have like one of the questions you had sent me was it's bucket list fish, all of them. I want all of them. And so <laughs> the only way I can do that is to go to places. But the other thing I really, really enjoy is learning new fisheries. And that's like a huge thing for me. And what land-based fishing allows me to do is learn that without the help of a guide. You know, like if you go, if, if you say you wanted to go catch Marlin in Costa Rica, you're going to have to go on a boat with somebody. He knows how to fish. You're not necessarily doing the fishing. Land-based fishing, I can go pattern a place, apply what I know, learn something new from that area, and I did the fishing. And to me, that's huge. That's a big difference. And that's why I'm married to the land-based game. Like, that's just the way it is. I got to do it, man. I got to have my hands on I got to figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> but it works out great because all that stuff even goes into your tackle. It goes down to the right. customer, and it's, it's all time-tested, proven. And that's just an extra win for everybody. So yeah, right. that's good. We you already knocked the bucket list fish, so we're just gonna go ahead and <laughs> let, we'll leave that one alone. Um, <laughs> what's your favorite thing about fishing? The learning that you never. It seems like no matter what, you're never done. It seems like there's always you're always learning of something new every time. Every session presents new problems, presents new solutions. Uh, and drives you to think and perform better next time. And as soon as you think you got something figured out, you don't. It changes. Uh, and that that part, that's what keeps me doing it. If it was easy every time, if I went and caught fish every time, I wouldn't do it anymore. I'd get bored. And so the 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 
the not the blanking sessions are almost as valuable to me as the catching sessions. It just they just really are because those those are where you're learning. If you're catching fish, you're just reaffirming what you already know. If you're blanking, okay. you, you get to thinking and you get frustrated and it gets in your brain and it sticks and you got to figure it out. And that's that's the part I like the most, I guess, is failure. <laughs> but dude, I mean, oh, man, how many people are so scared of failing? And it's like in fishing, yeah. that's like three quarters of what we do it's you're not going to catch every time and if you are you, i hope you're a lottery ticket holder like you've got super skill luck but, or you're man. fishing a fishery that's like that you know like if you go largemouth yeah. bass fishing you're probably going to catch largemouth bass. <laughs> like it's just the way it is uh but yeah it it, it, it not, to, not not to take away from the fact that it can be frustrating like we've gone halfway around the world before and missed and that hurts but it keeps you cut you get to do it again I, you just yeah. think on the upside of it that's all you can do and yeah. uh, and you're learning and you're getting better and then when it actually happens it matters more if every time you went you did it it wouldn't be cool man like that's <laughs> <laughs> well you've done a lot of world travel like you said is there anywhere that's a dream place for you to go that you haven't been or a place that you'd be like oh i totally have to go back here uh so more like a nightmare maine is my like <laughs> nightmare right now i'm on like five or six sessions multi-day sessions trying to crack the last species i need for the igfa royal slam for sharks entirely from shore uh poor beagle shark i'm on like my sixth shot in maine and uh i still haven't done it i was gonna go this year for like 30 days and just grind it out but the sea state this year has been unpredictable so i would have wound up sitting on my hands for 28 or 30 days and so i wound up not going but we'll get back to it next year. That's 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 my nightmare. That's the thing I'm that's been like holding on to me. Uh, I've got trips slated for. I, I got Guyana in March. I got Europe again in a week. I've got uh, some Pacific Island stuff. I'm really excited to break some ground on in December. Uh, I don't keep a lot of bucket list stuff because as soon as I can, I do it. Uh, <laughs> as soon as the opportunity presents itself, we go. Uh, and we're kind of being systematic about it and kind of cutting across continents at a time, right? So North America's all but done. Got a couple of things here left that we need to do. And uh, then, and we're almost done with Europe. This next Europe session might make it so that we only need like one or two more big species from Western Europe and then we're done there. Nice. And then South America, that Guyana, I say Guyana, but it's really going to wind up being Guyana, Brazil, Argentina, maybe Peru. And uh, that'll pretty much put a nail in that one too so we're just gradually working away across the world and figuring stuff out and stuff always pops up little wingers and things but we try and do these big long staged expeditions a couple of times a year and really really drive it home and get it all done in one session but <laughs> oh man i'm already excited to hear the winding on this i'm like I'm, i can't wait for the beginning of the new year to be like all right where, where'd it go did you get it <laughs> Well, uh, we'll get this last one, and then we'll move into the fishing tips, tricks, and knowledge here. Can you share a memorable surf fishing story, including unexpected catches or challenging fishing situations that just turned into, holy crap, that was cool? Yeah, I actually just, somebody just asked me something very similar. They said, what was it, where was a moment when you knew you had screwed up? And it reminded me of the time that Matthew and I, every summer, we do this trip where we go to an island 30 miles off the coast and we post up for like five days and we pelagics fish. And the goal is to catch mako sharks. And we always catch mako sharks. But the goal is to catch a mako shark, like the mako shark, right? And we finally got our chances a couple of years ago. We hooked up. Or we ran out uh, an 80 wide, a big, big reel, big bait. 
got it set, turned around. As soon as I got back to the beach, one of those headboats came by within like 20 yards of the beach and cut us off clean right at the rod tip, basically. And so I was disheartened. I had a backup reel. So I lost all the line from that drop. So I, that reel was out for the trip for the next four days or whatever. I had a smaller backup reel at a little 50. So I grabbed that, put it in the rod holder, ran out a similar bait, similar rig and everything. And a short drop, just like 300 yards. Uh, got that set. And by literally like the bow of the kayak hit the beach and that rod was on. And we don't get a lot of screaming runs on the West Coast. We get a lot of slack bites and stuff like that. But this fish just bent the rod, got it in gear, got in the harness. That fish didn't stop. There's 750 yards of line on my 50 narrow. That fish didn't stop until there were 10 wraps of line left on the spool. Oh, no. Five <laughs> minutes of just not fast, just steady. See you later. Bye. <laughs> uh, we finally got it turned, got it all the way back, got everything but like 11 cranks left. Like we were three cranks from seeing the fish and so that's how it goes. We got tangled in the cutoff from earlier that day. No. And so gradually that braid pinched off my mono top shot, left me a little like pinched off turd end on my mono and fish of a lifetime gone. And that was the, like, there's only two things it could have been right out here. There's only two things that'll do that. A smooth hammerhead, which we haven't done or the Mako shark. And either one of those would have made like the year, maybe the next 10 years. And we lost it right there at the beach. And so we stood around and like waited, like see if we could see it pop up or I could get the float back or something and like re-rig off it went. So fish is out there swimming around with a big old TFT float on his way. Oh no, that is heartbreaking. Yeah. 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 Oh, so after that, was there, I mean, just go home and lick the wounds or send another one out. We wound up we wound up catching a couple of makos that trip, but nothing over forty pounds. Little we have a lot of pup makos here. That's one of the big obstacles to catching a big one in California, is that we just have such a robust population of juvenile. We're a nursery, so we have such a robust population of ten pound mako sharks that every bait you put out, it's like piranhas. You know, it's like a mako chow. They find it, and they get hooked, and you you reel in. Sometimes you reel them in the next morning thinking you weren't bit, and there's a ten pound mako on the, and that happens all the time. Yeah, we wound up with a couple of mangoes. I think we got a good six scale. It was a good trip, but that fish—that was the—I mean, that's the fish we've—that's the fish we've been looking for for eight years. You know, that was. <laughs> yep, of course it was. Oh, I'm so sorry. That—that's heartbreaking. Like, if anybody listened to this, I know you're just like you all felt it. I think everybody that's listened to this felt that. No, no. We said a word to each other for like 10 hours after that. We just like went robot mode, just got everything back out, sat down. Whoops. Yeah. <laughs> There's nothing to say. There's. Yeah. <laughs> oh, jeez. Yeah. Oh, okay. So let's move into the knowledge type uh, part of this. And then after that, we're going to rock into the tackle. Uh, how do you plan your fishing trips out there? So one of the things I say about that is that like 90% of the fishing happens before you get to the beach. So when we're looking at spots, scouting spots, trying to find new spots, or even looking at old spots, we're looking 12 days out, pay for a good surf forecaster. That's my number one advice I can give. Pay for like Surfline Premium or Windfinder Premium, something that's reliable for your area. They all have different strong points. Out here, I like Surfline. Uh, and look way in advance, look like 12 days in advance and not just because that surf finder tells you what the sea conditions are going to be, but it also gives you tides, weather, wind, all of those things are important. And 
look at your successes and look at the windows where you had success and match that as best you can the next session. If you're trying to maximize time, I mean, if you just have weekends to fish, then go fish weekends. But if you can pick times to go, that's the biggest thing. Uh, so a lot of that is just picking windows, deciding when to go. When I got guys coming out here to fish, I tell them to give me seven days because I'll probably find three days we can find fish on. And the other four, we're not going to, I mean, we, we'll go fish, we'll go through the motions, but the, the, the bites are going to be when they're going to be. And that's kind of the way it is. And it's like that all over the world. Uh, the other thing I look for, look, pay attention to tides, huge thing. Uh, some areas will bite good on a moving tide. Other areas will only bite on a slack tide. I'm big on a slack tide bite window here myself. Like that's probably 75% of my fish come on the dead slack. Like literally the when it says low, that's when they went low tide, 709, that fish is getting hooked at 708. Like that's something that wow. we know out here. We apply it other places and it works with some reliability. Now that's 70% of them, right? So 30% of the time you'll fluke a fish. So there's reason to be there for longer than an hour. But if you're trying to be surgical, you could do, I used to say that you could do four hours of fishing here and have as much luck as somebody who fished there for 24. Yeah, it, 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 knowing your area, that's a huge thing. Patterning down, nothing's an accident in fishing. All of it is patterning it down and just collect data. Look at what other people are doing and having success. Take that stuff with a grain of salt. Not everybody's going to tell you the right, the real story. But like when you know the information's good, lean on it you know that's no, no man's an island you got to put it all together you know and planning is all of it that's that's the best advice i can give you done getting down to the sand and what rig you tie and what knot you put on all of that doesn't matter if your planning is wrong excellent advice and that's not just sharking that's all the way across the board that's so well both, yeah. uh so with your set uh because you do have limited but you have gone a lot of places how do you choose a spot to fish so that's the other one. Uh, the other thing to pay for, and you don't need to pay for it. You can get them for free, but a good GPS, like mapping, chart plotting, program system app, something like that. Uh, I use a free one a lot when I'm on the road because I don't have the software on my PC, but I, it's called GPS nautical charts. It's literally what like you Google it. It'll be the first thing that pops up. And they have regional maps and charts for pretty much the whole planet. You got to kind of know what like major city or port is near where you're looking because they're going to be more detailed where there's boats. But yeah, I use those uh, so much. <laughs> when I was working at the university, I would be sitting there in my office with charts open all the time. People thought I was a geography major, not a, not a science ed major, because any spare moment I had, I'm looking at charts and maps and trying to find places. And what you're looking for is that you're not looking for a feature, right? You're not looking for, oh, this is the spot the fish are going to be. You're looking for differences, right? So if the whole coast is 11 feet deep, and then there's a spot where suddenly it's 40 feet deep, I would look there. Navarre Beach is a prime example, right? So the entire entirety of Santa Rosa Islands, like 23 feet deep from freaking Alabama to Navarre. And then suddenly in Navarre at 400 yards, you've got an 80-foot shell. It's no accident that there's blackfin tuna, sailfish, makos, and navarre. It's literally, it says so on the map. It says they're going to be, it's, it may as well say, fish for a shark here. Yeah. Like, it's just, it's that simple. Uh, differences. So the, the the study of, like, what the bottom is doing in oceanography is called bathymetry. And so place, what I say is look for places that are bathymetrically interesting. If it's all the same some everywhere, it's going to be interesting to the fish to have even, even a little high spot, you know, if you fishing Pensacola Bay and the whole thing's more or less carved out to 20 feet or whatever it is, 
and then there's a little high spot that comes up to 15. It's only five feet of relief. But if you're a 12 inch pompano, five feet's a cliff, man. That's a whole sheltering place to be, you know. And then what the those charts will also tell you what the bottom's made out of, so you can be more surgical about how you fish, right? So it's like scattered rock or sand or shell. Those are all going to require different fishing applications and stuff. And so that'll give you like a, you're not fishing blind. You have like a, it's not like a great you don't have like a, a picture of what you're looking at, but you can put together the pieces and kind of know how you're fishing and where you're fishing. And that makes a big difference. Yeah. You're not giving out like, Holy crap information right here. Yeah. <laughs> if you, none of you took notes right now, you better back it up and go ahead and start. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so perfect on so many levels. Okay. Well, we we've been going for 20, so you get, you get a breather first thing because we're going to knock out a bait check. So we're going to go ahead and do that. Man, you're just crushing it here. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, this Baycheck is being brought to you by the Sinker Guy. Head on over to thesinkerguy.com and take a look at everything that Chip's got going on in the Sinker Guy garage. Need spink, uh, Sputnik sinkers? Yeah, he's got them. It's in his name. He's got you hooked up there. Maybe you need to get your hands on some, I don't know, rigs, beads, floats, scissors, tools. Yeah, he's got it all. Lots of good stuff over there. So go take a look at the website, thesinkerguy.com. Get your order in real quick. Great customer service and a great dude all around. Really, really good times. Okay. So, oh, like my train just got derailed because I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know exactly the spot you're talking about with that depression. I've <laughs> may or may not have been looking at uh, charts not too long ago, wondering that thing after. Uh, actually, I think it was. It might have been Dylan. Yeah, I think it was Dylan from Coastal Worldwide. He uh, He brought it up not too long ago on another show I'm on on the panhandle fishing report and he was talking about yeah you should look at this look how the water does this look at the currents look at the flow and i was like hmm, how weird and i started lightly doing it but uh yeah you kind of reaffirmed that and i was always like why do you think yeah yeah i mean it, it it it's no secret like places aren't magic right places hold fish for reasons and so like a good example out here is there's a harbor out here uh that which will rename remain unnamed because i'm not done with it but there's a harbor out here that's historically been like a magical place that has pelagic fish in the winter and like there's stuff going on there all the time and uh it, it used to get blamed on a power plant and then the power plant stopped working like 40 years ago and still got magical fish in there i know where you it's are not the fucking power plant it's 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 the whole harbor is built on a canyon head it's a it's a magical place because it is like it's it's literally got all of the stuff it's got upwelling and bathymetrically interesting features and it's consistent and it has a consistent protected break and it's just got all of the th it's just ticks all the boxes and it, it it's not it's not an accident it's never an accident and it's never uh anthropomorphic thing it's never something that we did it's almost never it's never oh there was a power plant the power plant was built there because of the cool water upwelling that made it work right like that's it's not an accident and it's never because we did. <laughs> How dare you have common sense, sir? How dare you? <laughs> you're like billions of years old and we're like a hundred years old. Like we didn't make them do that. <laughs> no, not even a little. Oh. All right. So you brought up, actually, I don't even need to do this now. You kind of just nailed it. I was going to ask, how can surf anglers read and interpret the beach conditions to identify productive fishing spots and locate schools of fish? You kind of killed that. So, yeah, uh, yeah well played on there. 
all right so now let's talk about gear setup so you have uh, like you started with you know you were only going out of 300 yards there with that drop uh and you do a lot of varying differences because of things that you know things that you've seen on the maps what are you looking for uh, to get your first drop out and how do you kind of stagger your distances with that okay so i'm gonna make some people grumpy here but the farthest you ever need to kayak a bait in land bait shark fishing is 350 yards and when i when i measure yards i do it by paddle strokes i consider 350 paddle strokes to be 350 yards and no it's not accurate it's going to be different every time but consistency is far more important than where the bait is put uh if you have to drop further than 350 yards to hit your mark you're either fishing in a bad place and you need to move somewhere where you have access to that or you're fishing a very specific thing and none of you are like we've had yes we've had to drop 680 yards to hit a spot where it drops to 600 feet in some island in alaska 110 miles from civilization that's not where you're fishing you know that's not something you have to do uh if you're trying to be consistent pick a spot where you get good water at 350 yards good water or good bottom or good structure or good bait presence something like that uh so the farthest rod goes 350 yards every time never further you're just hurting yourself and you're increasing fight time. The further away you have to reel that fish in from, the more time that fish is on the line, the less ethical that is. So 350 yards, that's what I consider like effective fishing range. You can push it if you're if the closest if you're in Texas and the closest bar break you have is at 400 yards, then yeah, you might have to go 450, 475. But 350 is like a healthy, like that's where I want to be fishing at my farthest stick. Uh and then after that, I go 100 less every reel. So if I'm dropping three reels, I'll go one at 350, one at 250, one at 150. That 150 reel will usually have a small bait on it or a couple of baits on it. Maybe like it's a double dropper with like a mullet head. and so It's a bait catching rod. You know, you're not hoping to catch Moby Dick on your 15 arrow that you put at 125 yards. But you never know. Stuff stuff happens. But typically, I'll only run two reels. Another thing I do differently than a lot of sharkers, I don't run a lot of rods. Uh, I feel like I can be more effective with less baits, you know, uh, in the right places. And then there's less to go wrong. I don't fish big teams. I fish groups of two or three guys. And so two rods, a person's already four rods. If we get a double hookup, we're already kind of messed up. So I keep it simple. I keep my baits in the right places. And uh, yeah, like 350 yards is as far as you want to go. And there are definitely places where that is not where I need to put a bait. Like sometimes I got beaches here where it's 150 strokes, man. Put that bait at 150 strokes, get it right on the other side of that bar break, and we are in it to win it. Uh, and that that's ideal. You want to be fishing as close a range as you can possibly fish. You don't want to be bombing baits. And if you're if the fish are running further off the beach, that's you're not in the right place. You want to be somewhere, you want to give that fish a re you want to be fishing in a place where that fish has a reason to come close to the beach. That's the that's the name of the game. You're not taking the, you don't want to take the bait to the fish. You want the bait to be where the fish is going to be like the uh, fish where they live, man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, the other piece too, even with sharking and I guess regular fishing, you mentioned a couple of pieces that people that should key in on. I mean, structure change, depth change, different something different you know you're gonna find them you just gotta know where those places are and like you said planning kind of makes a big difference with that you can't go in blind i mean i mean blind squirrels catch a nut sure but hey it'd be better to be tactical correct and that, that's just we like to fish surgically uh, that's just something we've done and something we've promoted people doing 
honestly, when I see pictures of like two guys fishing and six rods out, I just get the heebie-jeebies. I, I, and I feel like that's where some of the like negativity comes from the public perception of sharking is like you get two guys on the beach. There's like 1280 wides out. There's bait everywhere. It's a messy camp. It's really hard to maintain six rods effectively. I mean, I'd rather fish two rods really well. Know they have good baits all the times. Instead of kayaking six times to set six individual baits, I can kayak six times to freshen my two good baits three times. That makes me a better, more surgical fisherman. That means I'm presenting better offerings for less effort more frequently. It's a great way to look at it, though. I mean, but with time effective and all that, because like you said, you don't get a lot of time on nighttime out there. You have to be really technical and surgical with that. But even around the world still, too. I mean, energy management is still energy management. Yeah, if I'm living on some island in North Africa for five days, I'm not getting in a kayak every bait check six times for six rods. That's not happening. You're lucky if I'm running one, man. (laughs) (laughs) Well, these next two questions, we're going to go into the darkness side. And I know, like you said, Cali's a little bit different, but you've definitely done it other places. So let's talk about the moon. How do tides and moon phases influence surf fishing and sharking? And what do you feel are the best times based on that factor to kind of play with? I'm going to make more people mad. And I'm going to straight up say that if you're not tiger fishing, the moon doesn't matter. Uh, I have never in 10 years, 11 years of paying attention. And I've fished for longer than that, but I've been paying attention to this stuff for probably about that long. Noticed any correlation between the moon and the bite. Okay. Now, there are guys I fish with a lot that I really respect their opinions, and they think it does matter. And my argument back at them is because you fish for tiger sharks. If you're fishing for tiger sharks, it seems to matter. But I don't think the tiger shark cares about the moon. I think the tiger shark's primary food source in the windows that you're fishing care about the moon, and that's sea turtles. Oh, turtles oh. on the highest tides and the lowest tides of the year to protect their nests. Those happen to be on the new moons and the full moons. And therefore, you have this conflating variable where, yeah, tiger sharks bite better on these moon phases. But I don't think it's because of the moon. And I think that that fish is also probably still there on the day before and the day after that. But that they just like know to be looking for chow when it's turtle time. And that's that's what I think about that because I haven't found a connection to it for other things. Now, certain game fish species, I've definitely like trout species, corvina, weak fish, speckled trout. There's definitely if you're fishing at night, there's definitely a moon thing with that. And then on the east coast and out here now, striped bass, there's a moon thing with that. But it, it it's not like it's not the definitely not the largest factor. Uh, we've definitely caught them on days like when we go light game fishing, it's because we're not going sharking, so it's like a not great day. And we still catch it. We don't really look at the conditions and stuff when we do that a lot of the times because we're just trying to get out of that. Clearly not the best window. We just have four hours tonight. Let's go throw lures at the bay. And we catch fish. Uh, so like, And sometimes a lot of fish. <laughs> so it, it, it definitely is a factor in light game fishing, but I don't think it's as big a factor as people put on it. It's like astrology. To me, the moon phase thing and fishing is like astrology in regular life. Like it, it is definitely like an like you can't argue with the way gravity works and the way tides work but i don't think it makes as big a deal as it's it's a scapegoat for oh we didn't catch them tonight because it was a full moon i've heard that so many times from sharkers and then like my pb tiger was caught on a full moon and a lunar eclipse so it can't (laughs) possibly be that (laughs) really you're gonna get both sides of the coin for one shot (laughs) 
No, <laughs> that's so funny. <laughs> like literally, like you can't write this shit. That actually happened. <laughs> no, oh my god, that's so funny. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm gonna stick with this because I'm gonna get myself in trouble. All right, so uh, you are a tackle shop. Obviously, you do sharking. You do, like you said, light rig, all that fun stuff. What type of rigs do you like to use? when you're doing uh sharking and then let's throw in there let's throw in there surf fishing for light fish if you're just doing set rigs and hanging yeah so uh for sharking it, it for 99.9 percent of the fishing is some a rig with a 20 out hook 12 feet of cable and 30 feet of mono uh and you can play with poundage and just stuff on that but for the most part we like 800 cable uh rarely do we meet a fish that doesn't need that and the one exception you'll notice a theme here the one exception and this is tiger fishing uh, in tiger fishing, I will like to run single strand. Uh, and that's not because I've had tigers get through cable, but I have had tigers get through single. And so that means that they can probably get through cable. So that's one of those things. Uh, but other than that, yeah, 600 pound mono. There's a lot of emphasis these days lately on this like 800 pound mono, 1200 pound mono, because it doesn't hurt you when you leader the fish. If you're taking wraps, like, so it, generally speaking, you shouldn't be taking wraps of your leader in general. And I know it's an easy thing to do. It lets you get a hold of the fish and pull, but it's also a huge safety concern. Uh, that's a really good way to lose your footing. You're wrapped up, you go to ungo, and that wrap is touching the other wrap. It's going to bind, and then you're going swimming. Uh, what I prefer to do is take a grip like this. Mono's running through my closed fingers and on either side, and I can apply pressure. And that lets me hold almost as strong as a wrap and I can let go and slip. There's no wrapping around my body. There's no, I'm not connected to the fish. We like 600 pound mono for that. Our production rigs are 600 mono. Uh, we do offer a couple of rig options with 800. I don't like 1200. I think it's wiry and unfishable. So we don't offer any rigs with 1200 uh, for just fishability reasons. It's just, I don't see an advantage. Uh, and then the cable is good for 99.999% of the fishing, unless you're going tiger fishing and you're specifically going tiger. You'll definitely land tigers on cable. There are customers land tigers on cable. I've landed tigers on cable. But if you think you're going to catch the tiger, I'd run single. And we offer a rig for that. We call it the Panhandle Special. It used to be the the Dylan's previous business name special, but uh -huh. we had to drop <laughs> that with everything changing. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, a little change in that. A little curveball. Um, <laughs> well, you, you mentioned something, too, and I know this isn't in the questions, and I saw this, and don't worry, we're not going to dig into this topic. You guys get a lot of accidental great whites out there, too. I mean, they just love sneaking in SoCal. It's and it, They're not out there getting crazy after. It's just an accidental bycatch. Um, and I know you guys are really quick. I, I read the article that you had uh, you'd contributed to about it. Like, you know, people were going nuts and really just coming after you guys. And I thought what you wrote was really well said, like, Hey, look, we're not out here targeting these things. We're not out. You know, there's a couple people that did some stupid stuff. That's not, that's not us. Mm -hmm. um, but with all that gear, I mean, that's a powerful fish. That's a strong one. Tigers are obviously, you know, bigger than what you're going after on that one. Um, yeah. But in those situations with that, uh, is there any real differential for avoidance? I guess is the best thing to say for out there with that. It's, it's a tough, a tough one. one. Uh, you can do things to make them less likely. When we go thresher fishing these days, which is rare, and we 
So the Thresher story, we, we decided to land-based Thresher fish one season just to get it done. We wanted one from the beach proper, not from the pier. We love our pier customers. It's like a huge, used to be, it still is, but it's a smaller percentage than it used to be. But that was like what we started selling to was these pier guys. And so we were fishing with them and doing that. And I was like, I wonder if we could just do this from the beach. And one of the reasons, one of the catalysts was I didn't like gaffing these little baby fish and I didn't like netting yeah. these little baby fish and thrushers have a huge post-release mortality race. It probably rivals that of the hammerhead. So I didn't like messing with them on the pier and then trying to release them. And I, we were so effective at it, lethally effective at it. that in one season, we caught like 18 of them. I caught 18 of them myself. And I was like, what am I going to do with 18 40 pound thresher sharks? Like this isn't ethical. I shouldn't be fishing this way. So we decided to move to the beach and we did it for one year. And what we did to keep the white sharks off, because one of the things you have to day fish for thresher sharks, they will not eat a bait in the night. You're fishing mornings, like sunrise to like noon, and the beach is too crowded to get the hell out. But even then, even between six and noon, you catch a white shark on some populated, sandy, nice, comfortable beach where the threshers live. It's news. So how we did it, we didn't catch a single white shark that season fishing for threshers. And why we didn't catch a single white shark is we ran. Uh, normally our float rig bite sections are 12 feet of cable, we dropped down to a foot and a half of cable and then 12 feet of 130 fluoro. And so when the foot and a half is like not even half of the smile of even a baby white shark. So that fish would come in and eat the bait and immediately clip our bait off. Uh, and so we didn't have to bring one of those fish to the beach that way. Now that's not necessarily the most ethical solution either because now you've fed that fish two hooks. Um, <laughs> so, so there's that, but it did prevent us from putting them on the beach realistically if you're sharking in california you're going to encounter white sharks even if you deliberately fish places where there aren't white sharks you're gonna catch white sharks and it really does suck and it's a huge it's why we don't fish as much at home anymore uh we get people to come out here a couple of times a year other influencers buddies people that have helped us figure stuff out overseas i got a guy coming next week uh we go out and that's literally like the first thing that happens is we catch a white shark. There's nothing we can fucking do about it. It just happens. It's the first thing that happens is we catch a white shark every time. And they're always excited and stoked and that's great. But then they have to, then I have to do the, okay, we got to pack up and go home now because the current regulations in California are that if you know there's a white shark, you have to go away. You can't fish there for 36 hours. So it's in the angler's best interest to not catch those fish. And yep. yes, there are guys out here that are making a point of catching those fish because it's huge. And social media loves it. Everybody loves it. It's a good way to make money, good way to grow some followers. It's not the right way to do any of that. And uh, it, they're not, they release really well. It's really hard to hurt one. There's nothing wrong with catching them as bycatch. Like from an ethical standpoint, that fish is easy to handle. It's easy to release. They're really durable but it is probably unethical to sit there and catch four in a night, especially it's not even unethical anymore. Now it's illegal. Uh, yeah. So that's, that's a huge thing. It's one of the reasons we packed the gear up. and we packed the gear up here before that happened. Right. So we stopped fishing mainland California about two years ago. Now when a new group of guys started fishing here and making YouTube videos about it. And I saw the writing on the wall then, and that's when we put the gear away. It wasn't six months after they started doing that that DFW passed the new laws that prohibited them from doing that. Those guys have since quit fishing like almost altogether, but there's a whole new group of people that grew up or came up through it watching their YouTube videos, and now it's out of control. Uh, so we kind of don't do that anymore. <laughs> man, it makes sense, man. I mean, but what you did was great because you found a deterrent. I mean, it's not the deterrent, but you know, when that article, when I read it, it was like, 
full-on guns up coming after you guys and it was like look we're looking for we're not trying to do this and it's trying to explain that to out west is a little bit of a challenge so yeah yeah and at the time nobody was doing what we were doing right so that was that article you're talking about the hakai article with yeah yeah so when that article came out we were still pretty much the only guys on the beach right so there was maybe like one other group of guys and they were our people like that we were working with that were on the beach and so we had oh, the whole spotlight on us so in the wake of that article in the aftermath of that not that there was any like we're, apparently we're made out of teflon it's something we can do but so we just, <laughs> that article came out rolled off the skin and we went about our lives but one of the things we decided to do is one of the catalysts for doing the thresher thing was you wanted to show that no we're not white shark fishing so how can we do this so what we did is we went out we caught 13 species of big game sharks from the beach on the west coast in one year to show that nope we're not fishing for white sharks we're fishing for these other 13 large game species that exist here just because nobody's done it before doesn't mean it isn't here right and so we did that and then unfortunately the community has not evolved quite as quickly and they still just do the same thing we did then and it's a problem but but you did in my opinion and and that doesn't count for much i think you guys did the right thing i mean i really do you were trying to educate and show them without making it they in your face kind of ugly thing so i think that you went above and beyond but yeah. <laughs> as we get way <laughs> off topic here sorry <laughs> But I wanted to. I really wanted to thank you on the on the recording here because I thought what you did was really well. Great for the sport, great for the species, and just great for all of us in general because it was you were trying to help. Um, but hey, you get to have a drink because yeah, it's 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 bait check time. <laughs> <laughs> it is the second bait check of the episode. Hope you caught a bunch of fish by now. Things are going really well for you, and you're probably listening to this back in the car because you got all these notes and you knew what you were doing and you went out and you got everything and you're like, oh, I'm good. I can just go home. This bait check is being brought to you by Ninja Tackle. NinjaTackleVA.com is a website where you can get your hands on the Ninja Tackle or Ninja Dagger Sears rods. You guys know I love them from the seven footer all the way up to the 12. There is a 13 now. Haven't tried it yet, but I'll let you know. I know. Still not sure how I feel about a 13 footer yet, but it's going to be good because I know it's Ninja Tackle. If you need rigs, he's got you covered. Or if you're into firearm or firearm accessories, Ninja Tactical side. Lots of cool different pieces for accessories for your Glock. Uh, I believe there's some good stuff for SIGs. Red uh, uh, red dot sights, optics, lots of good stuff. NinjaTackleVA.com. Take a look. You, you're you're going to be good. It's going to be nice. All right. So now that we've hammered that piece all the hell, we're <laughs> going into that um let's talk a little bit more into uh let's talk about baits so what are some effective bait and lure choices that you have found uh bring in different types of species and that has been successful for you so on the light game side of it my personal lure box is about six lures i keep about four of each i keep a and they're all one color black and white uh on dark days you need a light color and on light days you need a dark color and black and white covers both i can carry one color and do both jobs uh and one a one ounce crocodile a three-quarter ounce shallow dive and jerk bait that suspends preferably you can have floating ones spinning ones work better and then i throw some stuff in there that nobody fishes blade baits are a huge one for me so search bait and cover a lot of water with a blade bait uh and then uh some kind of surface walking skitter pop big thing on the east coast uh not so big here but we our corvina and our stripers will eat them here but uh it, it's kind of a specialty lure it's glass flat conditions are perfect that one comes out but for the most part i'm throwing metals or jerks something in a one to three quarters uh when it comes to big game i classify baits in categories right so 
dark meat, white meat, and red meat. So your dark meat baits, your shark, and your stingray. And when I say shark, I don't mean sharks you're not supposed to use for bait. Uh, I mean legal bait, shark, sharp nose, black <laughs> nose, black tip, things like that. Don't get it. Twisted. Well done. <laughs> Cow nose rays. Uh, those are your dark meat baits, and those are really, really critical. Those are your long soak baits. If you set a slab of tipper out there, it's not getting touched for 36 hours until the fish eats it. I don't even check those baits. Uh, that's a forever bait. It's not the far bait, you know, I'll put it in the middle somewhere, but that's that's a critical part of the spread. If I don't have a, a dark meat bait in the spread, I'm not fishing. Uh, personally, I hate Southern Rays, and this is like a thing me and Dylan go back and forth on. All their charter fish are mostly caught on Southern Rays. I catch a ton of fish with Southern Rays. I, I, I just find them to be less effective than something else I could put on that hook. It's not that that bait doesn't work. It's that I would rather have something else on that hook. Obviously, if there's no bait in camp, I'm putting a Southern Ray on. But I'm probably not yakking it very far because as soon as you get another bait, I'm reeling it in and putting another bait on. Uh, and then your red meat baits, and those are my favorite. I do a lot of pelagics fishing and a lot of weird oddball fishing. So for me, fin baits are critical. And the reason that's critical is that everything eats a fin bait, right? So a dusky shark's going to eat a fin bait. A tiger shark's going to eat a fin bait. A hammerhead will eat a fin bait. I'm not isolating myself. You know, those dark meat baits, you're mostly going to catch tigers, hammers, makos, whites, things like that are going to eat those. Your, your bottom-dwelling uh sharks are big on those the fin baits everything lemons love a fin bait nurses love a fin bait mangoes love a fin bait stuff i haven't even caught yet loves fin baits, uh, <laughs> fin baits the bait. you know, nothing's gonna turn down a juicy tuna head it's just not gonna happen uh and so fin baits to me are a huge red meat baits tuna jack personally my personal favorite is we have a, a lesser amberjack species over here called a yellowtail we call them the yellowtail everything here is the yellowtail i don't know why we call them that it's kind of dumb but uh it's a jack that looks like an amberjack, but it's skinny, doesn't fight very hard, and has a yellow tail, so we call them yellow tail. Those are the best uh, all over the world. I'll fly those everywhere. I flew them to Hawaii. I flew them to the Canary Islands. I flew them all over the place. Those are my – when somebody brings me a bag of yellow tail heads, I'm, like, in permanently indebted because those are the baits. Uh, they're really durable. They last a long time. Amberjack does the same thing. It's really durable. It lasts a long time. It has really great pulling power. I think most of my PB Atlantic sharks have been on the yellow tail head. My big hammer was on a yellow tail head uh just about everything the, the mako we lost a couple of years ago right after dylan caught his was on a, a yelltail head everything loves yelltail head uh and then your white meat baits are like your local game fish right so like croakers drum corvina uh uh any anything that isn't a tuna when you cut it open anything that's not red pelagic fish meat when you cut it open is a is a, a white meat bait pompano or a red meat bait uh, i'll put a pompano out lickety split that's an instant bite as fish is going to eat that right away i know humans like to eat them too but that we're, we're here to fish not eat so i run pompano um uh but yeah you're those are the three big classes for me and if possible i'll put one of every one out i put less emphasis on the white meat baits uh other than on casted i like them on casted rigs because they're pretty they're more durable than a soft red most red meat baits are pretty soft you know tuna meat isn't the most durable thing a whiting is far more durable than like a strip of tuna uh so i'll put them on the casted baits and then i can like get a couple of casts out of them before i have to change them whereas if i was running like a bonita strip or something on a casted bait i have to change that every time i cast it every 20 yeah. seconds however long it takes yeah. uh but uh yeah i don't like the kayak white meat baits super super far i know a lot of guys have luck with drum in the gulf for like long soak baits on the shark rods but I, I've just never found it necessary. I've never been that thirsty that I need to run like a less than optimum bait. I always try and have enough bait for every session. 
And that's a little game I play with myself when I'm packing for a trip, right? I'll be like, okay, I'm here for this many days. How many bait checks am I going to run that day? How many fish are we going to catch that day? And oftentimes what it comes down to is how many fish do I need to catch before I stop fishing, right? So like <laughs> if I have, I could pack a hundred baits, pay to ship a hundred baits over there. But if we caught 40 fish, say we caught a fish on every other bait and we caught 40 fish, I'm pretty much done turning the handle by then. So I don't need that many baits, right? So I kind of think like how often, if I'm gone for five days, First day, I'm probably going to run one bait because I'm tired of traveling. Second day, I'll probably go hard. I'll ch change bait three times over the course of the day, every eight hours or something. And then the next day, I might do eight. So then I'll like do the math, how many rods, how many people, and figure out like the right number. I hate wasting bait. I hate throwing bait away. Yeah. I go through a lot of effort to get the good bait, and I hate throwing it away. But I also really, really, really never want to run out. I never want to open the cooler and be like, shit, the next bait's garbage. Like, that's not the bait I want to run, but I'm going to run it because it's all I have. I try, then I'm not fishing effectively. I might as well go home, you know, like yeah. I want to be maximizing my opportunities. And so, and I never, ever, ever, never, ever count on making bait when I get there. Never, ever, never, never count on the surf bite being good because it's more inconsistent than the shark bite. <laughs> so like if I if <laughs> never go expecting to catch a drum or a pompano, because that's the guaranteed way to make sure you don't catch a drum or a pompano is to hope to catch a drum or a pompano. <laughs> well, it's like setting it's like getting it's like you know it's just setting yourself up for failure it's like oh yep. it'll work it'll yeah. wait a minute crap it's december crap this isn't gonna work <laughs> yeah you gotta be you gotta be bringing bait that's a huge thing yeah and myriad a myriad of baits so you nailed that man that's that's real good real real good um so like you do like you said you do a lot of travel here and this is something that you know some people are lucky they get to travel on their vacations and they like to travel for fishing what do you do when you go fishing in a new place mm. talk talk to people uh not on the internet even so much just talk to people when you get there you know walk the fish harbor everywhere you go there's somewhere that is like designated like commercial area right and talk to those guys they know what's up the sport guys gotta remember if you're looking for info the sport guys are probably looking for info too so the, the commercial guys they have to catch fish that's their job and so you'll get a good idea of what's around just by looking at barrels of bait or whatever at, at the commercial docks and then another huge thing is just talking to people man it's all networking like so much of what the internet has made what i do possible right i couldn't this job didn't exist five years ago it didn't exist four years ago really you couldn't there was no way to compile the amount of information that we have access to now with social media, the way it is the amount of fishing influencers and wannabe influence, you know, people that are, that are aspiring to be influencers. They're often more friendly with the content. And then also you can forge those relationships early. And then when they make it, you've made it with them. And it's like a part of the thing. Like it's a huge, I make lots of friends, man. I'm everybody's friend. Try and be everybody's friend. If you can't get along with me, it's on you, man. I'm really easy. Uh, and so I just talk a lot and I talk to a lot of people. I can't tell you how many trips have been inspired by somebody being like, Hey, I have this thing. Do you, do you, do you want to catch this thing? And it's like, sure. And then that turns into a friend, the Dylan thing. I, I I'm tiger cursed. I was really bad at tiger fishing until we just cheated and went to the place where the tigers live. Uh, <laughs> now that's how Dylan and my relationship started. He had a, he's good at tiger fishing. They're really good at tiger fishing. And he had a bite window and was like, yo, you need to come fish this. And I was like, I, let's let's do it let's go fishing and so we linked it up when we went fishing and we grew together after that you know we had we learned a lot from him and there's things i do today that he did that i would ne never have done before like the rubber bands on the bait i never did that yeah 
pitch with them, you know. And there's still times where I don't, and I'm still like on the fence about like what baits I do it on. They'll do it on every bait. I only do it on fin bait. So like I don't do it on ray or shark, but they do it on every bait and it works for them. I just have a different idea of how it's working and what it does. But yeah, that's something I learned from them. Another piece of the puzzle that I was able to pick up from them. And I'm sure they've learned things from me. I hope they have. And, uh, and it's just, and there's other things. Like I recently fished with a YouTuber out of Houston that was big in gars and we'd done some gar fishing before and we'll do some gar fishing in the future, but we took him up and did some sturgeoning. And uh, I feel like he learned a lot there and I've watched his, content sense and he's like been applying some of the stuff that we talked about when we were up there and i've definitely i had like two product ideas come out of that meeting that kind of birthed by things that he said that were like markets that existed and they exist now because of that and so like that's a huge thing and then and that's that's like the big picture stuff but like little things like sometimes somebody will just say something that's like just just enough to push it over the like just an idea and then you can try it out and apply it and that's a thing you know but another side of that coin is learning when the information is not good, right? And so, like, sometimes somebody's like, yeah, man, I was injecting these herring with bait scent from Walmart, and it was working great. That's a bad tip. That's really happened to me. That literally really happened to me while I was there. Oh, no. Yeah, what you got to do. And I was like, yeah, man, I'll give that a, I'll give that a try. But uh, like stuff like that, not usually not so obvious and dramatic, but like sometimes people have an thing that works for them, an idea that works for them. And it's not necessarily the right answer. It works for some other reason because of this or that. But so you got to like weed through some of it and never hinge everything on Intel. But Intel is a huge part of it. You know, networking is massive. Yeah. No man's an island. I keep coming back to that. I feel like I've said that like seven times on this show, but like. But it's true. That's it. Like you're not, you're never gonna. Figure, if you're trying to do it all on your own, good luck. Even the stuff that we've done that doesn't exist before we did it, we needed help. Like we needed intel. We needed a guy with a boat to help us get there. We needed a guy with a dead octopus that we could buy. To you, you know, like we needed these things, and you can't do it without them. So. No, that's one thing I've loved about social media. I mean, granted, I'm not a YouTuber. I wish I was that cool. Uh, I'm never gonna be that cool. Uh, this was my happy medium, but it's that we all work together and if you can get to one person and teach them something and have them apply it and it becomes i don't want to say like the go-to method but something that gets them that fish that's a friggin' win and then with all the social media networks with the groups with the good ones that you get them all together man you just we're just continuing the cycle i mean we're just making better anglers who's going to pass it on to the next person pass it on to the next person and then our kids and you know it's just the continuous domino it's oh, yeah. huge we have to try yeah, you have to there are things that are common knowledge now that were taboo when I was learning, right? So one of the big things that comes to mind is when I was learning shark fishing, everybody said lever drags would never work on the beach. They're too finely machined. You can't get sand in the gears and you'll kill those fancy lever drags. And everybody wanted to fish star drag senators. Fast forward six years, seven years, and now you're a pariah <laughs> if you've got a senator on the beach. Like it went all the other way around, you know, and like, and that was all because like people were seeing success and the same thing happens with new products out. Like I've worked with new brands and people have been like, Oh, that that's going to be trash. Cause it's made overseas or this. And I'm like, no, nah, I'm telling you, this is the stuff I could use anything I wanted and I'm using this. And then fast forward three years and they're like leading the industry and blah, blah, blah. And like, <laughs> it, it just happens that way. And the only way it happens is because people are seeing it work. You know, the things that work get repeated and 
sometimes it's an uphill battle, circle hooks versus J hooks in Texas, things like that. But it it, it is Ooh, the debate. It will eventually the truth will out, and the more effective tools will prevail. And it's just the way it is. Dude, that's a way to pick a fight in a fishing group. Go into a surf fishing community, start talking J hook and circle hook. It's like, you know, it's you just want to light a fire and step back on a comment. Just bring up something about circle hook and J hooks, people. Don't worry. The comments will take care of themselves. It, people get real feisty when you go on. I, I saw that. I'm a moderator of a group and I was like, okay, guys, chill the hell out. We're just talking hooks here, man. And it's yep. not life or death. The oh. real is that there's appropriate settings for both like there's there's i own both kinds of hooks right there's there's moments where especially in light game stuff right like in in shark fishing it's pretty much got to be circle i mean legally in most places around the world it's got to be circle hook but as far as light game stuff goes like i i waffle back and forth myself sometimes like if it's circles or you know and a lot of it has to do with the way the fish eats too like yes not all fish are the same right not all fish are going to turn on a bait in order for a circle hook to do its job appropriately, the fish needs to turn on the bait. If you're fishing for a, a whiting, a circle hook might not be the right tool because it's not going to turn and run with the bait. It's not what it's going to do. But if you're fishing for, I don't know, a, plat, a bluefish, it's going to turn and run with the bait. It, it can't park. So the circle hook's a great tool. Uh, <laughs> but it, it, a lot of people, and I hate to say it, but like oh, fishing attracts certain thinking classes of individuals and for different reasons right so it, it it attracts intellectuals because it's a giant puzzle and you can look at it in a hundred different ways and try and solve it in a hundred different ways but it also attracts joe schmo and there's nothing wrong with joe schmo it's just that joe schmo doesn't want to think too hard right and so what grandpa told joe schmo to do joe schmo does and joe schmo catches fish but that doesn't make joe schmo correct it doesn't make him wrong just means that what's working for him is working for him. And that's something I've also said throughout the duration of the show is that sometimes it's not wrong or right. That's just what works for that guy. And there's nothing wrong with that. But whether or not that will work for you and is replicable, that's a different story. You know, I come from a science background. It's got to yeah. be replicable or it's or it doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You need repeat process, especially on this game. And I was going to say, Whiting, I, 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 I've never said it. This will be the first time I've said it out loud. Uh, Whiting, J-Hook. Yeah, I'm a J-Hook guy on a little piece of shrimp. Yeah, uh, Justin got me on that. So I have changed my ways. If I'm fishing for whiting, straight J. I'll even go long shank. Why? Oh, because it works. Great, because you can get them unhooked faster, too. Yes. That's another huge thing. That's if the other reason. You're fishing, the long shank J, Aberdeen hook is literally like the goat for that stuff. You know, you learn that pan fishing as a kid. Uh, you catch more of them faster if you can shake them off the hook. <laughs> yep. All right, last two questions in here, then we're going to get into the tackle shop. Uh, for seasons, have you noticed that there's uh, any unique difference or tips when it comes to different seasons for fishing? Yeah, man. Uh, everything changes with the time of year. Uh, so there's four, just four seasons of spring, winter, summer, fall. But in fishing, there's kind of two seasons. There's cold weather and warm weather. And uh, one thing I'll notice, a lot of people spend a lot of time on water. You notice earlier when we were talking about details and stuff, I didn't mention water temperature. Uh it's, it's like the moon to me. I don't think it matters. I think what matters more is where we are in relation to like daylight hours, right? So obviously the less sunlight means colder temperatures. Those two things go together, but it doesn't always. And so I think what's far more important, what we work with, not water temperature, is literally calendar day on the year. And we, we think 
last year, this day was the day before, right? So we, we, we account for the fact that 365 days isn't accurate. There's not actually that many days in a year, but we do use the calendar more than we use water temperatures. And a lot of people hinge on water temperatures and time and time and time again, we go without looking at water temperatures based on the calendar and we're successful. Uh, that being said, there's cold, especially in the Gulf, right? So right around now, probably next week, the first couple of big duskies will get caught in the Gulf for the season. And then right around December, January, the first mako will get caught. And then right around January, February, the first white will get caught. And then the tiger, I mean, the tigers are winding down now. And that's changed a lot in the last few years. And I think the same thing's happening here. A lot of stuff that we used to rely on consistently for certain weather windows and time of the year has moved and shifted. And, uh, I think it's just oscillation and climate change. There's a whole many, just infinite variables, but we've had to adjust a little bit. Certain things have remained really, really consistent, but other things have, and the trend over here has been less good, right? So it's been, the fishing's been less effective. It's it, more time required, more effort required per catch uh, than it has been in the past. Some of that might be fishing pressure. There's more guys doing it. And some of it might be like, used to be if I went somewhere to fish, I knew I was the only guy fishing there. And I had been the only, if I hadn't hit it in a month, it hadn't been hit in a month. Now, it's probably somebody fished it yesterday, you know, and so there's that. But uh, yeah, there's like two major seasons. And then the other thing to note with that is that uh, it's the, if you're traveling, they're different everywhere. So like your peak season. So peak season for lots of numbers of fish and stuff in the Gulf is summertime. Peak season for lots of numbers and stuff in the Atlantic. It's wintertime. It, it shifts the fish move these are migratory animals it's the ocean they don't the yep. fish have tails they move around uh so like you catch more redfish in the uh warmer months in the bay in Pensacola bay but they're out on the beach in the winter time you can catch them on crabs on the beach in the middle of winter just randomly and that's one of my favorite things to do while i'm shirking is to run a crab rod and catch a drum and shit and that's like that it's more fun to me lately i've been moving more towards the lighter game stuff just because <laughs> kind of jaded but like that, that stuff's awesome. But those are things to note. Like, yeah, you go fishing, <laughs> fish the bridge of Pensacola Bay in January. You're probably not going to find a drum. But you go do that on the beach, fish the same tactics that you fish for those fish on the beach. You'll find them. And so time of year is a huge thing. I don't spend a whole lot of time on water temperature, but time of year is a huge thing. Uh, it's just the way it is. Uh, the, <laughs> it's all good. If you have to fish where they live, if they don't live there in that time of year, they're not. You can't catch them. Scott fish where they live. Got to go to their house. Wow. All right. Last question in this kind of category. Uh, what are the top surf fishing mistakes to avoid and how can anglers continuously improve their skills and knowledge in this exciting form of fishing? Don't keep doing the same thing over and over again. If it's not working, literally don't, don't fish in the same place for four days. If you haven't had a bite in two, don't, don't continue to go to the same beach you've never had success at over and over and over again and hope one day it's going to be different. That beach probably just sucks, bro. I don't care if that's where your family's rented a house for 10 years. Fish just don't live there. Go, <laughs> probably only have to go. You don't have to go far. Probably only have to go like 100 yards up the beach and make a difference. Uh, so don't yeah. keep doing the same thing. The other thing is check everything. Check your top shot. Change your top shot. So mono is so cheap. That even if you make no money, even if you're like like completely broke, you can be changing you can be changing your mono with cheap mono all the time. That's something you have to be doing. Your mono top shot mono goes bad. Sun eats it's nylon. It it sun eats it. Ocean eats it. It absorbs water. It goes bad. Change your line, man. It's a huge thing. Hook sharpness. Change your check your hook sharpness every fish, every cast, especially if you're fishing over hard bottom. Check that hook. And 
it digging your skin isn't right. It should dig your fingernail. It needs to be sharp enough to dig your fingernail. Uh, and then the other thing is probably don't set the hook like you are in a bass tournament. <laughs> That's another huge mistake I see all the time. It doesn't matter if you're using J-hooks. You don't have to do that. Uh, especially with modern super lines and short mono top shots. If you're fishing braid and you're setting the hook and you're swinging that rod nine feet, you've pulled that hook nine feet from that fish. That is not necessary. <laughs> you're not trying to rip his jaw off. You're just trying to get that point. Let the hook sharpness do the job for you. Flick of the wrist. Sometimes not just a lift, like, like a steady lift. Like some, some of the kinetics of it and the, the explaining of it is hard to do. But it's not a it's not a large mouth, and even that's even large mouth bass fishing is probably not necessary. But like that's just you're not in the Bassmaster Classic, so don't do that. That that's like probably like as far as things the angler does like while fishing, that's huge. Most of the stuff is pre-fishing, right? Like picking where to fish, checking your your stuff, check your check your eyelets a lot. That's the thing that people miss out on a lot. Uh, if something feels wrong when you're turning the handle, check it. And usually, like, these things give you indication. Something doesn't feel right. Uh, half of the time when people think there's something wrong with the reel, it's actually a bad eyelet. I see it all the time. Uh, my reel feels rough is usually your line is rubbing on a broken eyelet or a cracked eyelet. Uh, because feel in the reel is 99.9% .9 sound. It has nothing to do with the, like, mechanics of the reel. Uh, so if it's fe something feels wrong, something's wrong, check it. Uh, and that's that those are the thing. A lot of it's just diligence. Uh, and you'll get away with it until you hook the fish you weren't going to get away with it with. And then that's the one you really care about. And so the advice I give a lot of guys when they're starting out in big game fishing or even like medium, like lure fishing for the one, right? Uh, uh, fish for the fish you hope to catch, not the fish you're most likely to catch. Uh, if you're ready for the fish you want to catch, then you'll catch them when he comes. But if you're fishing for the fish you're most likely to catch, you'll always be undergun. And there's no excuse for that. Those are great, man. Those are great tips. Well done. And yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of, you know, watching the vacation guy come down here and uh, you can tell who the bass fishermen are. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh right leg step back and <laughs> sturgeon guys do it too. Sorry, Jacob, but sturgeon guys do it too. <laughs> oh. <laughs> All right. We'll knock out this last bait check and we'll get you into the fun one. We'll get you to talk about the tackle shop because I'm really excited to learn about this stuff because I know you got a lot of cool things in there. So let's yes. get this one finished up. Yeah, it's funny doing the video thing. Like I get to see myself bring in that fish and I remember that day. That was a good day. I had a lot of fun that day. Ah, fishing. All right, this is your third and final bait check. This bait check is being brought to you by DS Custom Tackle. The Delaware boys, I got you set up, man. You want to make rigs? Yeah, floats, got it. Beads, done. Hooks, sure, why not? Teasers, yep. They got you covered. That'll take you all the way up in the Delaware area. That'll take care of you all over the place. If you're a rig maker and you're looking to get supplied, they can take care of you as well. Lots of good things in there. So DSCustomTackle.com is the website. Head on over, check it out. All right, so let's finally talk about terra firma. Let's finally get into the tackle shop here, man. And I have, I knew who you were, not this year, last year. Yep, last year, so is that 2022? So I went to ICAST in 2022, and I'd heard of you. And I'd heard of, you know, and I think, I can't remember who it was, but I was like, he's a shark guy. I don't want to go over there. I'm like, you know, I'm scared of shark guys, because... <laughs> 
I'd only met Dylan and, you know, I'd only had a couple of conversations and I, I knew Dylan was, he's such a great dude. Um, he just set the bar. And then I met some other shark guy in this local area who will remain right. nameless. No, here you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> and after that, I was like, yep, no, I'm good. No more. Um, so I, I'd heard about you and I was like, and then it just kind of grew and grew and people were like, Hey, you should take a look at this. I'm like, dude, I don't know what to do with this. So, Let's start at the beginning here. Can you tell us a bit about your online uh, and ta the tackle shop and the history, how it came about? So really what came up was when I came back to California, I was working on my master's. And so I would spend whatever time I had out on the pier with the pier guys doing the slide baiting thing. And so I would bring some of that Hawaiian style, South African style slide bait stuff with me. And the guys out there would ask for it. And they'd be like, hey, can I buy some? And I'd be like, no, nah, just give me some. And eventually it got like enough people were asking. And I was like, fine, I'll sell some. So I sold some in person. It was like $5 for like a little kit and a pack. And uh, we'd go out there and I'd fish for an afternoon and make like 150 bucks and like people just wanting stuff. And I was like, hmm, that's cool. Like bought some fast food and some gas and keep doing this <laughs> indefinitely, right? And then wound up like evolving and we evolved in the way we fished and the market evolved and we just started expanding offerings and then uh, at first it was just rigs and uh, cause that's what everybody does. Like there's a lot of guys in this arena, smaller guy. I mean, we've bought like three of them, so there's less, but there, there were a lot of guys in the arena when we started and uh, they all do something a little different and people have like brand loyalty and stuff. And so that was interesting. And then at the time before I owned shark fishing worldwide, it was owned by a friend of mine, Anthony, and uh, he had a Facebook group. And so we got in there and then we realized how big that market was. And we started pushing the shark stuff and started expanding the way we fished to market that stuff. And it just, everything we did worked right. And people would start buying it and it became popular. And then we like would figure we'd like get our hands on a product. Somebody would be like, you should try these things. And I'd look at it and be like, Oh, it's nice and all, but like, it could be better if it was like this. And then we'd go into production and, fix it you know or like make it design our own take on that thing that in our opinion and the way we fished was better and it caught on a lot and uh we ran with that and just kept growing and then we started doing rods because we saw that there was like when people would ask what kind of rod they should buy for shark fishing there's not really a good option like everything that in that line class is designed for like offshore stuff and it's just different and so we were like, hey, like we can offer a rod. And we started fishing these rods, these prototype blanks that we liked, and people liked those. And so we started offering those. And then we were like, well, we could do like a slide baiting rod. And it just evolved into it. Now we have like a full lineup. We got you covered from freaking <laughs> steep trout to thousand pound sharks. We, there's a rod in our lineup that'll do it for you. And some really specialty things in there that you just can't get otherwise, like out African style 15 foot three pieces and things. And, uh, and then we expanded in freshwater last year because our, my interests went that way because I've become jaded with the big game stuff and started playing with that and brought some like hair rig tactics to big game freshwater stuff. And that's took off. And now it's like 15% of the business, which doesn't seem like a lot, but so considering it didn't exist before it, it's a lot. Yeah. Uh, the, the trick is finding new things and staying on top of it. And about once or twice a year, we do like a new product drop. We'll drop like seven or eight new like specialty things and some of them take off right away and some of them take a while to marinate and people figure out what it's for and they start doing it and every now and then i'll sell something that i forgot i even sold because we have such an extensive offering now that it's like literally like if you do any kind of bait fish the only thing we don't offer right now is lures basically if you do any kind of bait fishing we've got something yep. yes you do <laughs> that's the funny part where i was like so when i started looking online I'm like holy crap uh this is a one-stop Huh. Yeah. This isn't. This is dangerous. Like, and my wife, you know, she 
she'll she'll pop by and see what I'm doing. I'm doing like research for an episode, and she's like, "What are you buying?" And I'm like, "Nothing." She's like, uh -huh. "Like I'm not. <laughs> like I'm doing research. I got this episode coming up." She's like, "Uh huh." Well, I'm on the <laughs> so <laughs> you got a lot of good stuff. <laughs> Just about everything's on there, uh, and stuff changes all the time. Like we're always, if, if we get feedback from somebody about something that's like, "Hey, I really wish these came in a different size." Usually, that's something we can do really quick, and uh, or like, "Hey, this isn't working for me." Like a couple of years ago, we had a, a batch that we switched the guy who was making our non-return sliders, and we had a batch come back, and people were like, "Hey, they're like falling off the line," and I like got on the phone, I like immediately like FaceTime the guy, and I was like. Show me what's happening, and I like ran through. I was like, "Oh, that's what's happening." Changed the machine, got them fixed up, and uh, out the door. So we're we're we try to be on it, and uh, things change, and some products come and go and get modified, or we find a new thing, or we re-release stuff. We're on like the third incarnation of our surf rods, just from or like our light surf rods, just from like customer input and realizing that like what worked for us. So we built a rod that we thought was the ultimate surf rod. We fished it for three years and we released it and then everybody broke them. And I was like, okay, so people aren't used to nice rods. Like this was <laughs> thing. And our market, so our, it was our mistake. We priced them at $160, which puts them in the range of like everybody. And those guys, 160 bucks from Bass Pro Shops gets you like a fiberglass surf rod and you can't break that. But if you take a $160 high modulus rod and you treat it like a $160 from Best Pro Shops, you wind up with a five-piece rod. <laughs> uh, quickly. <laughs> so, so we uh, we had to do some things. One of the primary things was we had to increase the price. But I didn't want to just increase the price or make it a better rod for that more money. So we went back to the drawing board, got back in touch with the factory, got the blanks redesigned. And then we were like, well, screw it. If we're redesigning it, let's make three new models and three new ratings. And so we're back off to the races now and the third generation hopefully final generation i doubt it of this light tackle surf rod that we've been pushing for a while now but yeah <laughs> it's that whole stupid cpi man it's always processing what's that work this all right cool we're changing this it always is but it's cool that you did it that way with three volumes i mean it makes yep. sense yep. and realistically you don't need three but people think they do right so like i fished the one i've got two of the one the light one the original one that's what I fish all the time. It works for every app. I mean, I can fish down from eighth up to two, but I, I'm more careful, I guess. I don't know. People are trying to fish three quarter ounces on a rod that's rated down to eighth and having issues. Okay, so we'll give them a rod that's rated to three quarter. You know, like we'll play that game. So there's a, there's a reason there's a range, and you gotta kind of play the game there a little bit. It's almost like a warning label. I don't know. That's just me. Yeah, oh. that's what I told people. A guy was like, "I broke it. I was fishing three quarter ounces." Like, well, three quarter ounces is the top of the range, so I wouldn't be doing that every day. But I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so good and bad at the same time. <laughs> Uh, let's talk essential gears. So for someone new to surf fishing and shark fishing, what are the essential tackle gear items they should consider having in their arsenal? All right. So if you're starting out in shark fishing, I'm going to take a page out of Dylan's playbook and I'm going to say you should start out casting baits to sharks. Uh, you definitely shouldn't start running baits in a kayak just because you're not ready to handle the animal. Like it's not that you won't catch fish. It's not that you need special skills to catch fish. It's the, the, the aftermath, the handling the critter part. That's really important. And uh, getting used to handling smaller sharks that are squirrely will help you handle the big fish that are less squirrely. In general, bigger fish are easier to deal with, just in general. But they're bigger and intimidating and scary, and people freak out. So you get used to handling the little skitsy ones that will 
really mess you up because they're unpredictable and small and squirrely and their body weight's light so they can throw it around. And then you're ready when, when Mr. 12 hits the beach, you're not freaking out. You've been here before. You know what's up. You know, and you're an old veteran. You're on the on the varsity team. You're not some JV loser. Um, so, <laughs> so that's important. Uh, something in a 12-foot, 13-foot surf rod, we offer both of those. We offer one of the things that we do that a lot of other uh, – people i wouldn't even call them businesses in the in the arena do is we offer a basics version of just about every rod or rig we offer right so we have our premium rigs that carry a premium price tag they're not expensive they're still like the cheapest available rig in that class on the market but we also offer one that's like dirt cheap like like you can get seven of them for 30 bucks or something you know and we do the same thing with the rods right so we offer a a basics 12 foot surf rod for shark that I think caught literally, I think it's like 220 bucks out the door, which for a custom build, it's not truly custom. It's production custom, but for a, a hand wrapped American made product out the door, it's, it's nothing you can compare it to. So we offer those and we offer a premium fancy one with marbling and all the colors and a custom rod, you know, and <laughs> people like that. So they pay more for it, but we do the basics ones for everything. And so that's where you want to start. You want to start with something, really basic and then a, a decent surf spinner i'm currently big on uh, on recommending the okuma stuff i've been well i'm not currently but i've been big on it since okuma and tiburon partnered up and started offering actual products that's huge for me uh i'm actually in talks with them about something cool so but anyway uh, so we're, uh, ooh, hand drop. something in there like moderate range spinning rods and then another thing to remember about spinning reels is that any spinner that didn't cost you your car payment is disposable so uh, they're, they're, they're one season, two season reels, treat them that way. You know, like uh, it, they're graphite bodies, they're graphite rotors, they have pot metal gears. It's not going to last you forever. It doesn't make it a bad reel. It's an, a reel that they're trying to offer you at a price point that you can afford. So it's going to fail. Uh, if you want a reel that's going to last you forever, you're going to have to spend forever money on it. And that's just the way it is. You know, conventional reels, a cheap conventional reel can last you a long time. It's under a lot of less, less, a lot less engineering pressures. It's under a lot less strain. It's not having all the things that are wrong with spinners being wrong with it. So it's going to last longer. But when you're talking about spinning reels and your first spinning reel, buy something in the $120 range. Uh, if you need to really cheap out, go to Tsunami Shields. Uh, you can get an 8,000 size Tsunami Shield, I think, for like $89 right now. And that puts you well within the range of any black tip, small lemon, small bowl you're going to catch on a casted rod. And so you could be out the door with line probably for $400 and be fishing. Uh, a couple of rigs, some line, reel, and a rod and be on the beach fishing for sharks, which is when you consider you go the step up from pompano fishing to that, it gives you access to such larger game. It's also your big drum rod. You know, it gives it. it it's a really cheap entry level thing to get into sharking and you go catch five or six of those little black tips and then get your just thinking about getting a kayak and running some baits that way. And, uh, just gradually step into it, but I would never, ever, ever recommend jumping off the deep end. Uh, and it would make me more money if I did, but I would never, ever, ever recommend you buy a wide and a fancy number four unibut rod and some 200 pound braid and go yak a bait and have never seen a shark before in real life. It's not the best plan. <laughs> No, and you're a good man for doing it that way. <laughs> I mean, I'll take your money, but the shark's going to take more. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes, very much. So. And it's funny, like the big ones know when they get caught, they're like, all right, hurry up, get this thing out of my mouth and let me go. Like, seriously, dude, look, can we do this? All right, thank you. Leave me alone. So, yeah, I, always, I remember the first time I saw, uh, actually, I think it was Blaine 
Blaine, yeah, Blake, they were out there. Uh, Dylan was doing a, a an open, basically an open mic night, essentially. He had everybody out there, and it was actually where we recorded our episode on the beach. I was like, hey, I'm going to bring my recording. Let's talk. <laughs> um, and then they caught, and I watched them. <laughs> yeah it was blaine i watched him swim this shark out i'm like mm, no what are you doing he's like dude they're just giant puppies man they're he's just gonna take you for a walk it's okay <laughs> there's some exceptions but for the most part they're really mellow big ones yeah i'll take your guys word for it i'll, I'll applaud you and hold the camera because i love you guys and i'm like yeah that's cool i'll touch it on the <laughs> beach and we'll call it good and that's about as far as i'm going <laughs> oh um well now damn you nailed into that one so I'll, i guess we'll move into Let's talk about some safety here. Uh, surf fishing can sometimes, it's got challenges. Sharking, definitely. It's all got challenges related to What are some safety tips you'd recommend to anglers, especially those new to the game? First and foremost, know your limits and not, not what you, not like macho, know your limit. Like really know what is, is too much for you. That's huge. Especially, I mean, even if you're a seasoned sharker, Knowing when and when not to get in the damn kayak—that's a huge thing. Knowing where your where your limit is. And now I'm such a hypocrite because I'll send anything, at, but it always works. So I know where my limit is, and I haven't met it yet. But if you don't, do not push it, man. If you're not the greatest swimmer, don't get in the boat when it's four foot. If you you know if it's really windy, you might be able to get a bait out. But then how do you get back? You know, there's things you have to think about. Think about every angle and think that the ocean really is not a toy. It will kick your ass, man. I I've dislocated my shoulder twice. I've got a like a chronic lower back hip thing going on lately. I had to miss Sharkathon because of it. Uh, it, it, it. There's a reason the average Sharker's career is pretty short. <laughs> uh, that's sad. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Tear you apart. And then I typically don't wear a life jacket in the kayak. And then I'm going to explain why. Uh, if you're swimming, you can duck under waves. And if you have the life jacket on, you cannot. And so uh, waterboarding isn't a great feeling. And if you're bobbing around in significant surf conditions in the, in the life jacket, you're basically getting waterboarded the whole time. It's going to affect your judgment. It's going to affect your ability to swim in. You're at the mercy of whoever's going to come rescue you. And typically, if it's bad state, bad sea state and you're in the kayak, the other guy really doesn't want to get in the kayak. He's not going to come save you. So the big thing is know how to swim, know your limits. And uh, the paddle leash is your friend over the life jacket. So that's my safety feature is I use a really strong paddle leash and I never let go of that paddle. Hold on to that paddle for dear life. You're next to the boat. The boat's your PFD. That boat is your life. I don't care how rough it is. You can ride that boat back in. Even if you have to hold it like a kickboard and just barely make it, that paddle and that, that, that boat are your life. The life jacket, if it makes you feel safer, wear it. But I'm telling you, if the sea state's bad, it's going to be a liability. You can always get out of it. Uh, and the reason I say that, I've always said that. And then last year I had to save a guy at Sharkathon that got tangled in his life jacket and could not get out of the water to save his life in the life jacket. We had to kayak to him from a camp. Like we were like three camps down. I jumped in the kayak and kayaked to him and got him in my boat and saved his life at Sharkathon. So, and that was with the life jacket on. So not saying it doesn't, it, it might work for you. Like, like, just like everything in fishing, it might work for you. It might make you feel, it might be your safety blanket. It might make you feel more confident and more safe when you do it. But I'm telling you in bad sea, now flat, flat, calm seas, wear the life jacket. But in, in, in significant surf conditions where you think you need that jacket, it's not, it's a liability. But know your limits. Keyword. Yeah, no, you gotta know your limits, man. You gotta know your limits, you know, it, it, and also the, the know your know the limits of your gear, right? So not every kayak is ever going to be capable of doing every sea state. So 
if, if you've got the bargey boat that's good for flat days and you try and send it in big stuff, you're just going to get destroyed, man. You're going to hurt yourself. Not every flip is without consequences. You know, you could get hit in the head with the kayak. You could get tangled in the leader. There's things. So, like, the goal is to not flip. With Know Your Limits, there's no when to bail, too, right? So, if you know you're going down, the hell out of the boat, man. Because then you, you're not, you don't have to worry about the bait. You don't have to worry about getting tangled. If you get out and you're in control of your exit, there's less that can go wrong. Damn good to point. Damn good. Uh, let's talk about a little bit here into the education, and then we're going to talk about conservation. We nailed a little bit of that earlier, but uh, do you have any educational resources, workshops, seminars, or anything that you offer or recommend people take a look at to help get their skills better? The best thing you can do is take the, even if you're not in Florida, is take the Florida Shark Smart course. Uh, pay attention to the details, not just the minimums. Pay attention to what they say, not just the rules. Knowing the rules is important, but they have recommendations as well. So, like, the rules are this, but then above and beyond, there's recommendations and ethical practices, and they're included in that course. It's a really well put together course, and some of the people that help put it together are big names in the in, in the industry. The other thing I would recommend is reading some scientific papers on hammer uh, post release mortality uh, and applying that to other sharks because it's yes it's a thing with hammers but it also applies to every species of chondrichthys uh exhaustion and lactic acid are real things and a huge part of ethical shark fishing is ethical release practices and fishing appropriate tackle and i don't recommend giant 80 wides and 200 pound braid because it makes me more money or because it makes you seem more macho or because you're fishing for giant fish it's because it's the right tool even for small fish because you'll have them in faster and out faster uh and that's that we all like catching fish but we really don't like killing fish none of us do not for no reason i mean that's the thing every shark person anybody that's done sharking always says the same thing get it in quick get it out quick you do there's no need to play the the game of wear them down like that you you're just you're killing the whole thing people in some for some reason kind of universally in, in like light game, medium game fishing and freshwater fishing, you're like, oh, I fought it for an hour. It was such an epic fight, light line. Even the IGFA has line class records, which to me is backwards for a conservation agency to have a conservation program to encourage people catching big fish on four pound tests. That seems fucked up and backwards to me. Sorry, IGFA, but that's just the truth. It's time to modernize. Uh, that being said, that's the opposite in shark fishing. It's not, if you're talking about fighting a fish for an hour, that's a negative. It should not have happened. There's no reason short of that story i told earlier while we were on the wrong gear we probably would have landed that fish if it hadn't taken an hour it's less time for him to find the snag uh you need to be fishing the most effective tool you can you can get and yes sometimes when we're out here on the on the peripheries we're fishing for 14 and a half foot tigers 16 foot sleeper sharks great whites to 16 feet yeah that 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 it's going to take a long time even with the best gear but you need to be giving that fish the respect it deserves by fishing the best gear you possibly can and that's that. Rather than having 250 wides, buy 180 wide. You know, and that's another reason to have one good rod on the beach, two good rods on the beach, instead of six. I mean, you nailed another conservation piece because you've been talking about conservation the whole time we here. I mean, in reality, so many pieces of this thing you've talked about it and you talked about it in the articles. I mean, these species are here now and we have to keep them going or else we're not going to have them. You know, these sharks aren't dumping out a thousand sharks every time they give birth. You know, the, the, we're not fortunate like that. You know, yes, some of the mid-game fish, you know, I, I say it a lot whenever people start talking about big black drum, they're like, oh, I can keep one over slots. Like, well, you could, or you could leave it alone because it's a super breeder. 
uh, it's got more eggs, so it's going to give us more fish. It, it's all about some down the line. And, you know, I think a lot of people that aren't in this invested like we are, you know, they're not in this into that thought process. They're just, you know, they're, hey, I want to fish. Got it. Do you. But, you know, it's on that same one. There's a couple fish you could probably let go. Um, oh. uh, I, I, uh, yeah, one of the things with the shark thing is that we're in a match. So, like, one of the reasons we've been successful, one of the reasons Dylan's been successful, one of the reasons any of these modern shark players have become so successful is because we are in a special place where in the 90s we passed a whole crapload of conservation-minded protections and laws that have enabled these fish to rebound to the point where we can catch them now, right? So every year we see more duskies, every year we see more whites, every year we see these protected fish and more and more frequently. And that's not saying that they shouldn't be protected. That's not, that, that, that's, a, that's a conservation win, right? So they're being caught. It's still our responsibility to not undo, it, humans have this terrible short memory problem where they're like, oh, there's too many sharks, we should kill them again. And then we're right back where we were 20, 30 years ago. And then we just do it over and over and over again. And it's so weird to me that we can't, like, we have no idea how many sharks there are supposed to be. Shark fishing should be so easy. I shouldn't be on here. I should be a nobody on here talking. But it's become difficult in our recent modern history because we've extirpated them from their home range. Sharks don't infest waters. They live there. Uh, and they're, they're living there again now for the first time ever. Uh, an example of that is the blue shark thing here. So one of my holy grails when I started this thing was I wanted to catch a blue shark from shore. For a whole lot of reasons, one of them being that it's on the IGFA Royal Slam thing, and I want to do that entirely from shore. Uh, and so I tried so much. Part of the reason I went to Maine so many times was to catch one. I've tried here over and over and over again. Suddenly, last year, we caught one, and five or six got caught on skiffs. And it's like, it's not an accident. We finally, the pressure's been down low enough for long enough that they're coming back. It doesn't mean go out and kill all the blue sharks you catch. That's not what, it's not, that's not what's happening. It's hey, we were successful. We've had some 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 resurgence of these species. That's that's a big deal. Uh, it's something to celebrate. It's something that I think a lot of the shark conservation pages are like not getting, right? So we're having more encounters with sharks, not because there's more fishermen, but because there's more sharks. Probably than there has been in any of our memories, any of our lifetimes. Uh, and that's huge. It's awesome. It's more opportunity for us fishermen. It's more opportunity for divers. It's a conservation success story. And I think a huge thing that's lost is that we shouldn't be complaining about shark fishermen catching more sharks. We should be celebrating the fact that there are more sharks for shark fishermen to catch and educating those shark fishermen in ways to keep that the trend. Right. So and that's just it's just facts. It's just science fact. There are more of these fish than there have been in the past. Sometimes other ones, not so much. Mako sharks is a great example. There has been a significant downturn in Atlantic Mako stocks over the last 20 years since they've been doing the the the, uh, the monitoring. And so in that case, we need some regulations. And when it's backed by science, I fully support it. When it's backed by emotion, you lose me. And that's that's what the white shark stuff is. It's backed by emotion. You know, it's in the funny part about this, and I know somebody's doing this, whoever's listening to this that doesn't agree with that, they're like, no, no, that's not what this is. And it's like, dude, calm down. Take it back a couple notches here. It's like you said, it's science versus what do I feel? I mean, there's kind of a reason for stuff. And uh, I had a great conversation with a couple of guys here. And one of the ones, well, I hate bringing this stupid topic up and I know I'm, I'm dragging your time here, so I'll make it quick, it's fine. but COVID 
like mm. so many beaches got Florida. They got shut down for the longest time and other ones got shut down. Fishing died for almost a year. And then the year after when they opened everything back up, all of a sudden people were like, dude, this is the greatest fishing I've ever seen. It's like, whoa, what be a reason <laughs> for that, guys? Uh, just, I mean, just thinking here, I don't know, maybe. And then, you know, we're in year, what are we at, three? We'll call it plus two from from shutdown and now people are like man the fishing's kind of it's kind of rough it's kind of hard it's getting getting kind of sucky well i mean we were yanking in a whole lot there and you know things have changed and then weather and temperatures have changed and things are getting a little different but hey you know what, what do i know i'm just a regular guy with a podcast we were fishing for muskie in kentucky like during covid so like during covid one of the things we did was we took off right and we kind of like we we Took advantage of the fact that the universe was shut down. We were very safe. This wasn't the time when we still thought you could transmit it by touch and stuff. So we wore gloves, we wore masks, and we took out. We lived in a van. We isolated ourselves that way, right? So we moved, but we were isolated from society. We literally like checked out of society for 28 days. Well, we found ourselves in Kentucky, fishing for muskie with this guide, and he wore masks, we wore masks, everything, and we were out there fishing. And he was like, "Yeah, man, like every year it's it's a little different. The water comes up a little higher. The temperatures are different. The bites are different." It's almost like it's changing. And I was like, yeah, it's almost like the climate is changing. What? <laughs> oh, no, you said the words. <laughs> and it was like one of my, he's like, no, nah, no, nah, it's not that. It's like, whatever. You said it, bro, not me. <laughs> oh, man, that you, I could do a whole episode on just that topic and just watch people get red and head spin. It's like, okay. It, 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 like I said, whatever works for you works for you. I said that a lot. It's a huge mm -hmm. thing. Get, like I said, it attracts very distinct, two very distinct groups, of <laughs> and uh, they go at it a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yep. yep. <laughs> yes, you and I could definitely. Uh, <laughs> I love this conversation so much more. All right, last last one in this one, and then we'll get you out of here. We'll get you out of the closing questions. How can listeners find your tackle shop, access the products and service, and stay up to date on upcoming events and promotions you're doing? So the big thing is to follow us on the social medias. Uh, the Terraforma Tackle on Instagram, Terraforma Tackle on Facebook. Uh, TerraformaTackle.com is the, the, the parent company. Uh, there's also Lane Leaders Fishing and Shark Fishing Worldwide, both of which are owned by us, subsidiaries of us. There's some more out there, but I don't publicize which ones are me and which ones aren't for other reasons. But uh, there's some forums and some Facebook groups. Uh, Shark Fishing Worldwide, the group on uh, Facebook is kind of the rough and tumble version of our shark group. Uh, it's it's private, you have to be accepted in. I'm pretty lenient. If you fish, you can come in, uh, but you also probably won't want to stay. It's really rough and tumble. It's We don't hold anything back. And if you're doing something wrong, we let you know right away. Uh, we're also not very drone friendly, so don't come in here with that bullshit. And then we also have SF, which is the uh, land-based shark fishing, and that is the public group. And we're way more forgiving in there, and I, I moderate that a lot harder. It is public, but you do have to be approved for your first post, mostly just because Facebook is overrun with spam bots from the Ganges these days, and I can't keep it clean unless I do that. So bear with me if you go to post a comment and it doesn't get approved for two weeks. I'm probably on the road somewhere. I'll get to it when I get back. I sit down. I drink a monster and I approve or deny thousands of comments and posts. So it's just the way it is. Both groups are huge. Shark fishing worldwide is at like 22K, I think. And the land-based shark fishing group is at like 12 or 14 or something like that. I might have those flipped. But uh, 
yeah, you can get a lot of intel there, a lot of information. A lot of guys are really willing to help. If you're willing to stomach the shark fishing worldwide, the most helpful guys are in there, but they're also going to be rough. It's a rough place. It's a private group. We even, on the on the banners for the groups, we have ratings. One's R-rated and one's G-rating, just so you can tell them apart. But, uh, yeah, it's th those are some great places to do that and see that. And then you can keep up with us and what we're doing on the Instagram. I'm pretty... I try and keep the post chronological. They're significantly delayed, but they are chronological. So if you're wondering where we are, what we're doing, I think currently right now we're posting Spain, uh, and that was in July. So we're pretty far behind, but uh, we eventually get it all up there. So. <laughs> oh man, well, you've done amazing here. I'm so thankful for this entire conversation. It has been phenomenal. Um, as I'm looking at the closing questions here, I'm like, yep, we talked about that. Yep. He talked about that. Yep. He talked about that. Um, so it's been, you, you narrowed them down to only a few. So that makes this pretty easy for you so you can get out of here. Cause I see the sun finally starting to try to try to get yeah. out of here. <laughs> um, one of your personal thoughts here, what do you think has been such a surge or a reason for such a surge to surf fishing? COVID. Part of it, people went back to the outdoors. I know that when COVID happened, we braced for losing the business, right? We braced for being shut down, not having any business, not people not going to work, people not spending money. And instead, we grew 387% the year that COVID happened. We saw exponential, uh, astronomical growth. Uh, and that was just, and to me right there, that's the data point I need to know why people are fishing more. Uh, they went back outside. You know, they, they wanted to be outside, so they got back outside. They went back to the things that they took joy in before we became moviegoers and party bars and things. All that was closed. You went to the beach, man. And uh, that made a huge, I think that had a huge thing. And then the next, probably the second largest impact is social media, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, a lot, unfortunately, it's a double-edged sword, right? So a lot of people just want to be famous. And so they want to post content that they think is cool and think makes them look good and clickbaity and all that nonsense, which is fine. I mean, I, I literally, some of those guys are my best friends, but there's that. And then there's also guys that just want to know and just go fishing and the general Joe Schmo that just wants to take some information from social media and learn and fish. And both both are great. Uh, just different strokes for different folks. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we both know a couple of those individuals. It's like, really, you're gonna drop that clickbait one? Oh, come on, man! Like, you know, I mean, Surprise the middle of the video catch. was good. <laughs> <laughs> Went to the beach today, and you won't believe what I caught. Um, fish? <laughs> All right, second to last question here. Uh, is there any other fellow, you know, shark teams or anglers, mentors, authors, and, and people that you haven't mentioned in here? They'd be like, yeah, hey, you know, th this this one did some good stuff for me. Help me out. Well, I got a shout out my coastal worldwide boys, uh, hundred percent. Those are my, those are my word that I can't say on a podcast. Um, and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and then I got a huge, huge, huge spots to the guys at Tightline Braid, Jeff and Nikki. Uh, they've been a huge help. They've enabled me to do a lot of the stuff I've done and they've been really receptive to product ideas and engagement that I've had with them. I've been working with them for a couple of years and they, it's American made product and I can have impact on the line as it comes off the line and make a difference for you guys. And that's huge for me. And then as far as other creators go, other podcasts, you got David Graham with his boundless pursuit. And that has been, it's a, it's something I enjoy listening to. And that's, I don't have a lot of free time. So when I do get to listen, find something I like to listen to, that's, that's cool. I was on that show too, but so were so many other guys that are so much more qualified than me. And, uh, that was, that was, that's a great one. Uh, as far as like inspirations, uh, most of your viewers should probably won't remember, but there was a guy named Larry Dahlberg 
a good long time ago who did the original Traveling to Fish show, right? Before Zeb Hogan, before, uh, who's the River Monsters guy? Jeremy Wade. Uh, there was there was Larry Dahlberg. He was a dude, a cameraman of a Cessna. He would go into the jungle and film incredible things. And that was the inspiration for when When I was growing up, people asked me what I wanted to be for a living. And I said one of two things. I either said scientist or that. And then somehow along the way, that got confused into teaching. That was a giant detour. But now, I, now I get to do both of those things. I get to do science and fish, and that's—I mean, I got lucky. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, always it enjoy a job you never work in a day in your life. So, or you, you work every both. single day, twenty-four hours a day, and you never get to sleep. That—that's the small business owner side. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's the—that's the evil side of that thing that we never talk about in public. No, it's great. It's great. What day is it? <laughs> I remind people all the time that I hate my life. I say it all the time as I smile and go catch a cool thing. <laughs> yes. So much. Yes. <laughs> all right. Last question. What's next for you? Uh, we leave for Belgium in two weeks. So that'll be cool. Going to go do some more sturgeon stuff over there. Probably the end of that for us for a while. We've really pounded. I was talking to my buddy that does that with me the other day and I was like, we've really pounded the sturgeon over the last two years. It's probably time to take a break and steer away. So that'll be that. And then we go to a Pacific Island that will remain unnamed until I decide whether or not I'm going to say where it is in December. And then January, we're probably going to be out your way for our usual, like once a year, Florida panhandle stab at a big Mako with the boys. Oh boy. And, uh, yeah, that, that's as far out as I've got really March Guyana and some other stuff, but always just, you know, and, and literally I try and like, write, I have a schedule app on my phone and I write everything down. Rarely does it work that way. <laughs> that's, that's something pops up. It's like a running joke. I'll be like, yeah, I don't have anything for three months. And then like next week I book something. It's just life. <laughs> life is evil. Yep. Yep. <laughs> uh, Spencer, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. You've been a joy, a lot of fun, tons of knowledge. Great. Everything about this was phenomenal. Thank you so much for taking the time. I appreciate it. Yeah. Happy to be here, man. Happy to be here. All right. Well, we will see you next time. And uh, thanks for sticking around. You got it. All right. All right, ladies and gentlemen, there you went. <laughs> it was so good. I mean, so you got the website. All the stuff will be linked back on the podcast page. It'll also be on findingdemosurfishing.com. You can find all the good stuff on there for Terra Firma and all the links through that. Lots of good things. And like I said through the show, there's a lot more than what we were talking about. So you really need to go take a look. You've been listening to Finding Demo Surfishing. Thanks for sticking around. I'll talk to you next time. I'm out. <laughs>